0: Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Glorious Disruption is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's Word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by Him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. Uh, well, uh, let, me, let me just pause this morning because I want you to know, even as we go to study God's Word this morning, that God sees you and knows you. And um, if I could just isolate each one of you this morning and tell you how deep the Father's love is for you, I would want to do that with all my heart. Um, You are not here accidentally. You are not here out of the care and the concern of our Heavenly Father. And my desire as we open up the Gospel, as it's given to us in Philippians chapter 3, that you would actually be sitting here today, thinking in your heart, God, you know me. This is is a glorious story, but it is not a part of for me, this, this marvelous account of your love in the gospel, in Jesus Christ, you did this because, as Gabe said earlier, from before the foundation of the world, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit saw us, knew our stories. And so even as you hear the Word of God, please do not kind of disconnect from the reality, the dynamic that God wants you to know how deep His love is for you. And receive the word of God. Some of you you, you, you have all the permission of the world. One sentence in, you can run off with Jesus. He may say something to you. Middle of the sermon, the Holy Spirit may impress upon you one line that, that is from heaven to you. Run with him today. Because this resurrection message is the most important truth that we can ever have. This is the most defining reality under which you live, under which I live. And so I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And as I pray, I want you to talk to God. And say, God, speak to me as only you can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, As we contemplate a story that many of us have heard over and over again, we desperately need to feel its power. Whatever is going on in our lives that the person next to us has no awareness of, you know it. Oh, Father, you know us completely you know the battles of our hearts the struggles of our minds the weakness of our relationships the fears that grip us but you O god have triumphed over it all in jesus christ you have not sat idly by there will be no charge against you that somehow you were indifferent to our our condition somehow you did not act but you gave what was most precious forever in the death, resurrection, and eternal reign of your Son. And we together say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. So come now and do a great work of grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. They're probably brutal because I've just taken them the last couple of days. So this is one of my favorite birds, some of you know what it is, it's an American kestrel and it was taken just right over here uh, around the block on Tellers Road, um, driving into work, I'm ADHD, I see everything around me as I'm driving in. This is one of my favorite birds, it's a falcon and it's about this big and I guarantee on your way home today, if you watch on the wires, you will pass one of these birds Um, I took this about, like, I don't know, 9 in the morning or something. It was a cloudy day. It's not the best day to take the picture. But you can see the blues and the oranges and the blacks and the whites that make me really like this little falcon. Um, The best time to take a picture of one of these birds is either right before sunset or early in the morning that what we call the golden hour. And the golden hour is when the light is refracted in such a way that it catches and brings, everything pops with color. And so last night, this is a habit of mine, last night uh, I made dinner, Marianne works till about 6, gets home around 6.30 or so, 6.35. We have dinner and then she looks at me and says, you can go. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do dishes, you can go. And I get in my car and I drive the country roads between Victoria and Waconia. I go out to Parley Lake sometimes. Sometimes I'm south of here. And I drive until the sun goes down. And I'm waiting just to see what's going on. So last night, Andy, you'll throw the next picture up there. Um, This was like two minutes into my drive, three minutes uh, into my drive. I'm just driving out. There's a family of deer grazing on the hillside. This, This is what I actually do. I I put my phone on speakerphone and I call my parents. And I drive talking to my mom and dad. And I take my camera and I take pictures. And you know these aren't great; these aren't great pictures. They're they're adequate for me (laughs) as I'm going along. But as I'm going along, the, the deer. So I just tell you this: if if you go out that last hour, the other night I drove for maybe 45 minutes and I counted 50 deer between Waconia and Victoria just doing the back roads and in fact last night there was twice I had to stop I was talking to my dad and there were deer walking down the middle of the road and I'm just like they don't care that I'm there I'm just they're just trotting along and I'm just happily going along behind them but I I point this out and I use it as an illustration to show you what's going on in Philippians chapter 3 that some of the brightest colors of the gospel pop in the darkest moments just when it looks darkest, just when darkness, is, it seems like it's about to fall. Paul in Philippians, which we just read, is about to go to, uh, or he is in prison, and he says in the first chapter that he actually might be executed for his faith. He's wrestling in the first chapter whether or not he thinks he'll be executed for his faith or not be executed for his faith. But I love Philippians and the letter of Philippians because it is Paul at his most joyful and optimistic. Uh, There's a lot. I mean, my favorite book is Romans, I think. Uh, Ephesians, I love. But Philippians I love for its sheer joy. Paul tells believers over and over to rejoice again. Here he is in prison and he's rejoicing in the Lord constantly. And the question you ask when you're reading it is how can someone who is going through such enormously difficult times be so joyful? We can learn from this. And the answer is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That really is the answer That he believes that Christ has risen from the dead and has authority over all things and his life is not in the hands of the Roman government. His life is in the hands of a risen and reigning Jesus. Do you know that's true about you? Do you realize that whatever's going on in your life, whatever the circumstances are, whatever the political atmosphere, my dear friends, this could be the golden hour of human history. But the gospel shines all the more beautiful. The hope of Christ is all the more powerful at moments like this. I want to share some of these passages. I'm calling this Paul's Easter optimism. And I'm going to ask you the question, do you have, by faith, Easter optimism? Because I want you to have it. If Easter doesn't make you optimistic, if the story of the resurrection does not give you hope, there's nothing to offer you except for sheer fantasy. But the fact of the uh, uh, resurrection changes things. So listen to the Apostle Paul when he writes to the Philippian uh, Christians who are dear friends of his and who have helped them. He says later on, they've helped him more than anybody else has helped them. He says this in Philippians chapter 1, 3 to 3-6. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, always all make... For you all, making my prayer with what? With joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Don't you love that language? He's writing, praying continually with joy. And he's talking about them. And he says, I have absolute confidence that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. Friends, I believe this about you today. And it doesn't matter that I do, but that's what the gospel announces. He who has begun a good work in you will finish what he starts. And that gives Paul joy even when it's the golden hour of his life and ministry. Philippians chapter 1, 15 and 18, he describes this. This is remarkable. He actually has Christians who are doing their ministry to make his imprisonment more difficult we don't get a whole lot of description on how that's going on. But listen to how he describes it. He says in verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What a distortion of the gospel. What a warning about ministry. Ministry can actually be done out of ego and pride and competitiveness. And he says, what then? Only that in every way, in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Isn't that a great line? Paul says, I rejoice. Some of these guys are making it harder for me here. But if they're lifting up Jesus, great. If Jesus is the hero of the story, great. Because Christ is our hope and our salvation. Uh, I'm going to go to the end of the letter just so you can see more of Paul's joy. And listen to the language. He rejoices greatly. He says in chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoiced greatly that you revived your concern for me and that you were concerned, but you had no opportunity. Not that I speak of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound in any, uh, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. Are you, are you leaning in? Whatever your circumstance is, have you learned this secret? He says, I can do all things through who? Yeah, him. Him who strengthens me this is his hope I'm in prison I might die there are people who are opposing me there are people who want to help me and they're trying to help me and they can't help me and this is what I want you to know whether it goes well or bad whether it's hard or it's easy this is it I can I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that's the resurrection it's not a dead Christ who did something for me it's a living Christ who continues to strengthen me aren't you glad that Christ has risen from the dead And that that Christ who reigns at the right hand of the Father ever lives to intercede and enable and strengthen us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I need to tell you this, this morning, friends, whatever you are facing, you do not have to face alone. Whatever challenge is before you, you don't have to muster the strength. Whatever help or lack of help, whatever opposition or encouragement you're receiving around you, let me tell you this. Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So here's What I want you to know, where does Paul's hope come from? Where does his Easter optimism come from? It comes from the resurrected Christ. Paul can do and face anything through the resurrected Christ who strengthens him. Christ isn't a dead Messiah. He's a risen and reigning one. That changes everything. Easter changes everything. So I'm going to just go into that Philippians 3 text and say, how does Easter change everything for the Apostle Paul how does the risen and reigning Christ change everything here's the first thing if you read this text you will realize that for the Apostle Paul encountering the resurrected Christ was a huge relief it was a huge relief for Paul and this is what he's almost not almost this is what he is most passionate about in all of his epistles that he has been rescued from the per- the performance religious performance treadmill. The apostle Paul was a deeply religious man. He was and he, he'll argue this regularly in his letters. He fought harder, tried more, sacrificed more, persecuted more in order to honor the Lord to honor God. And then in the middle of that, in Acts 9 and Acts 22, we have these stories where Paul is on the road to Damascus and who does he encounter? The resurrected Christ. And suddenly, all of Paul's preconceived ideas, all of Paul's religious practices, all of Paul's expectations are flipped on their head. He has to go back to theology school. He has to go back and revisit all his rabbinic teaching, all his Old Testament passages, and suddenly he realizes that as much as he had studied the Old Testament, he had missed the main point. God would send his son who would die on the cross God would lay all of our iniquity on him and God would raise him up from the dead and he would be king and Lord forever the son of David was coming to reign and establish a new kingdom and that kingdom would be one where there was a new covenant in which he would be our righteousness and Christ takes the burden of all our sin upon himself And God takes Christ's righteousness and places it upon us so that there is nothing left for us to prove. What a load off Paul's shoulders. I want that load to be off your shoulders too. You know, Easter, I said about having a resurrection reset. Some of you are trying hard to fix your life. And I'm not saying you don't strive to get right with God. I'm not saying you don't put all your energy into seeking His face. But you need to understand this, that Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, has done the heavy lifting on your behalf. When He said on, we heard it on Good Friday, it is finished It is finished. Sins forgiven, paid in full. And the resurrection is a declaration that God is satisfied with what Jesus has done for you and I. So look at Philippians 3, verse 1. What are are Paul's initial words in Philippians 3, verse 1? Finally, my brothers, do what? Rejoice in the Lord. Say it out loud. Rejoice in the Lord. One more time. Rejoice in the Lord. Say it's what you're saying to your heart. That's what you're saying. Rejoice in the Lord. And then Paul has some pretty strong language. He says, he says, To write these same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. If I tell you again and again, rejoice in the Lord, and he'll do that, chapter four. He'll say, Again I say, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice in the Lord. Christians, you have permission to be careful when you're saying and how you're saying this, but the songs we sing and the narratives we reiterate to one another is this, rejoice in the Lord. And it's no trouble for me to tell you this again, rejoice in the Lord. And tomorrow it's okay for me to say, rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because the Lord has changed everything. Look what Paul says. Look out for the dogs, those who are evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And, and it's interesting there, Paul's talking about the group he once belonged with, uh, belonged to who told them that by what you do, you merit your salvation. And he's talking about all the signs of Judaism where you took circumcision as a sign of your covenant faithfulness, your identification as the people of God, all the laws and the signs of Judaism that you would take on. He actually uses a word, he calls them dogs, which sounds rough to us, but he's using a word that they used against Gentiles. And he said, they used to look at people who weren't Judaizers and call them dogs. And if you've been down in other parts of the world, dogs are either guard dogs or wild dogs. Much roaming the streets, you know. And by calling someone a dog, it was calling them vile and foul and unclean. And he turns and says, all these religious guys who are telling you by your religious performance that you can get your standing with God, they're the dogs. Because all your religious performance will leave you as unclean as a mutt infested with rabies on the side of the road. It can't save you. Notice what he says in the next verse. Look at, sorry, he says, for we are the circumcision. We are the true people of God who do what? Worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. And so what Paul does here is he goes through all the qualifications of his life, and he says, I was a Pharisee. I was a law-abiding Judaizer. I tried harder than anyone else. If you want to pull up a list, and he'll do this in Corinthians. He'll do it in other places. He says, if you stand on the merits of your own righteousness, I I am a 4.0 grade average when it comes to religion but on the righteous standing before God, 0.00. The hope that I have is not in myself, but he says, if I worship not by Paul's strength, but by God's strength given by the Holy Spirit. If I glory not in myself, but I glory in Jesus Christ. Who do you glory in? And when we use the word glory, the, the language is boast. What are you boasting in? The church you attend, the, the, the theological education that you got, the, the way your life compares to the people around you, you never did this sin, you never fell into that difficulty. Is, is that where you're boasting in? My dear friends, you're going to have to keep pulling it all out because unless you get perfect, you get zero. But there is one who got perfect. And so the resurrection in Paul's mind is a declaration that God is satisfied two things you need to know about the resurrection number one it's a declaration it's a declaration that God has received the righteousness of Jesus Christ on our behalf and we have nothing to prove you have nothing to prove here folks today if you trust in Jesus Christ listen to Romans chapter 4 22 it says that's why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness but the words it was counted to him were not written for the, his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who, raised, who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up to the cross for our trespasses and raised for our justification. When God raised Jesus from the dead, God was saying, putting his stamp on it, justified. His death is enough. Satisfied. Paid in full. That's what Easter is. Easter is a celebration that our sins have been paid for in full. God is absolutely satisfied with what Jesus has done. Isn't that good news? I'll tell you something. I do not like my treadmill. I use it out of desperation. But have you not noticed the last day if it gets 42 and sunny and no wind, everybody's out in their shorts? In Minnesota? Because everybody's been living in the cave. And March was brutal. And, it, and it, I don't think it got into the 50s in March. And we thought, this is never going to end. And then it just flips one week later. And everybody's moving out. Why? Because it feels a whole lot better to have the sun on your face. And for me, the birds singing behind me. And the, and, and, and the, and the blue sky above you and the promise of another day. And Paul says, those guys who tell you to get on the religious treadmill are not your friends. Because Jesus has satisfied that. The resurrection is a demonstration that the power of God can bring life out of death in any person through Christ. And we live not to prove anything but what Christ can do in and through his people like us. Listen to Romans 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So let me just use a quick illustration. You're battling some sin. You're battling some unbelief. You're battling some struggle. And you get up in the morning. Where are you going to look? If you are going to look in the mirror, I'll tell you how your day is going to go. Illusion or depression. If you pat yourself at the back of the day and say, boy, I I finally got my life together. It will last as long as your New Year's resolutions last. Forget it. You do not have the strength. But if you get up in the day and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You get up in the, in, the, in the day and say, I depend on Christ who was raised from the dead, and you look to Him. Here's the thing. He never grows weary. He never grows faint. He will meet you at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and you can cry out to them, Help me, Jesus, in all my weakness. And His weakness, number one, is never waxing or waning. His weakness is constant and strong. And secondly, His care and concern for you is always the same if you trust in Him. He will never turn away from you. Paul is relieved beyond your wildest imagination because he no longer has to live in that world. And I just need to tell you that if you're here today, we're not asking you to get on some religious performance treadmill. You will burn out. We're telling you Jesus is enough and that he won't let you go and you can trust in him and we all fight it. Christians, we fight it. Listen to Dennis Johnson. He says, our, our religious uh, comparison and, and pride and dependence says, it comes out especially when we compare ourselves with the shortcomings that are so obvious in others. They're lazy and undisciplined, and we're diligent and exercise self-denial. They're haughty. We pride ourselves in our humility. Don't you love that line? Ah. We pride ourselves in our humility, though we do not admit it aloud. They boastfully call attention to themselves. We disapprove of their brashness, though we may envy the admiration it attracts. The details may differ between the rigorous Judaism of Paul's day and the casual tolerance of ours, but the drive to reassure our uneasy consciences through our best efforts and sidelong glances at our competitors ties us more closely to Paul's rabbinic colleagues than we care to admit. Friends, Easter optimism comes from glorying in Christ and worshiping by the Spirit of God. Get off the treadmill. Christ has you covered. That's the first thing. That's a relief. Secondly, the resurrection is a powerful force. It's freedom from having to control against negative outcomes. So so here's Paul in prison, right? He's in prison. And all the people in, Acts, in in the book of Acts he goes to Caesarea and a prophet named Agabus comes up and binds Paul's hands with a with a belt and says, "This man, if he goes to Jerusalem, will be imprisoned and, and taken captive and everybody falls down and starts crying saying, "Paul, don't go, Paul don't go and they're trying to determine the outcome they're trying to protect him and Paul looks at him and says, I'm not only willing to go to Jerusalem, if Jesus wants me to die, I'm willing to die. Here's what's happening to Paul. He is now on the adventure of experiencing the power of God in his life and saving his life is no matter, is no longer an issue for him. You know, and we live in a culture of radical safetyism. We live in a culture where we're trying to mitigate against any possible danger. We don't want harm. We're trying to protect our children. We're trying to protect ourselves. My dear friends, when we go into this radical safetyism where we don't want any negative outcome to possibly happen in our lives, the only thing that will happen in our lives is we'll stop following Jesus Christ. Where He calls us to go. I had tape to my filing cabinet when I was young and first pastoring, right beside my desk, when we used to keep paper documents, um, I had a filing cabinet right beside it, and I, I typed on my desk, if you want to avoid suffering in ministry, the only thing you're going to avoid is ministry. And I put it there, not as an act of self-righteousness, because I knew my human nature. My human nature would look for safety and no consequence. Aren't you looking for that church that doesn't have any pain or problems? I'll tell you, you came to the wrong place. And you won't find it anywhere else. You'll only find a effective covering. We need continue with Christ. Listen to what Paul says in verses 8 to 11. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes by faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and what? The power of his resurrection. Do you want to know the power of his resurrection? Follow him. Lean on him. Go into the difficult circumstances and places where the only hope is that he would raise you from the dead. I want to become like him in his death that I by by any means might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is free to live a life of risk for Christ because the resurrection removes all risk. Paul is free to explore a deeper relationship with Christ because hard places become growth spaces. Got that? Most of you know this. The hardest places in your life are the place where you probably met Christ most clearly. You saw his power most vividly. Now, I've said this regularly. Those of you who are close to me understand this and have heard me say it. People don't fear change, they fear loss. And Paul here doesn't fear loss, he embraces it. It's a lifestyle. When Jesus calls disciples, he says to them, if you want to save your life, you're going to end up losing your life. But if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, you'll not only Lose your life for my sake, but you'll find your life and you'll gain it. That's how the gospel works. That's what resurrection power. That's where East Easter optimism comes. Friends, if, if you come to me for counseling and we're in the middle of this, and some of you know this, and you're really intensely distressed, I will ask you this question. What is it that you're fearing losing? I'll ask you that question pointedly. Because the level of distress that we're going through is somehow we think that Christ is going to rob us of something that we think is necessary for our lives when Paul knows Christ is all we need. Christ is whom we were made for. And Christ will work powerfully. Paul is over living a safe life. And this is what Paul prays for regularly. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1 when he prays for the church at Ephesus. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the glorious inheritance, what is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and listen to this, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he did what? Raised him from the dead. Friends, do you want to know resurrection power in your life? You want to know the freedom of getting away from safetyism? Ask Christ, where would you have me go? Follow Him where He leads you. That can be back to work. Some of you, your workplaces are enormously difficult. But it's in that dark place that Jesus raises the dead. Raises your hearts, raises your hopes. Some of you, it's your family life. Some of it's your parents. Some of it's your singleness. Some of it's some deep struggles about your identity. But in all of those things, listen to this. It's not those hard places where He leaves us. It's in those hard places where He meets us. And where we experience, Paul says, I don't want to live this safe life. I want to go into that place where the only way I get through is if Christ raises me again and gives me the power in order to work through it and to live for Him. He says, I want to see what is under the hood of Jesus' car. So Yesterday, I'm drive, driving around and everybody's got their vets out yesterday. Raul had his motorcycle parked out front. And there's just something about if you've got something here that's got some power under the hood, you say, I want to give this thing a test. My dear friends, in your safetyism, you may not be realizing what you have under the hood in the gospel. God may have placed you in difficult circumstances for one reason, not so that you can see how well you will do, but how real Christ is for you to sustain you each day and to lead you and to do what you could not do. This best thing for Waterbrook when we scatter on Easter is to walk with courage into hard and difficult places where God has placed us, having this one prayer on our lips, Jesus, raise me again and again. Show your power. Bring life here. Do what only you can do. Paul says, I've made it my motto now. I'm not going to live anymore to see what the Apostle Paul can do. I want to see the power of the resurrected Christ in my life. Paul, the resurrection changes how Paul lives his life. Faithfulness over security, suffering over comfort. Here's a question I want to ask you today. What is it that God's called you to do that only the resurrection gives you the courage to do? Think about that. What has God called you to do? What have you put on pause? What have you denied? What have you resisted? Because it's just too hard. What in your life could only be possible if the resurrection power happened? And finally, what I want you to see in this passage at the end, the resurrection has a purifying effect. Paul says that the resurrection gives him freedom from the trajectory of fleshly indulgence. you know what he does at the end of this chapter? He grieves and he grieves over Christians who have abandoned the faith because they've decided they needed to save themselves. They've decided they need to write the end of their own story. They have forgotten that there is another chapter at the end of this life, and that chapter as C.S. Lewis says, is the beginning of the true adventure. They've forgotten about that. So listen to what he says in verse uh, 12. He says, not that I've already obtained this and I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Let me ask you the question, what's the goal of your life? If, you're, if, if your life is just to get squeeze the last amount of juice out of the lemon of this life, you are going to be on a downward trajectory of selfishness and self-indulgence. Later, Paul says in verse 17, "'Brothers, join in imitating me "'and keep your eyes on those who walk "'according to the example you have in us. "'For many of whom I have often told you "'and now tell you, even with tears, "'walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. "'Their end is destruction. "'Their God is their belly. "'They glory or boast in their shame. "'Their minds are set on earthly things.'" He says, you'll be on one of two paths. The trajectory will be downward in terms of rejecting eternity, boasting in yourself, bragging about what you can accomplish. And he says, the trajectory of this, of course, is moral degradation. They glory in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Here's just a little question. What are you living for? Let me just ask you this one question. If the resurrection is true, And factual. And you will be raised from the dead. What are you living for? What are you banking on? Paul writes... But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to uh, subject, subject all things to himself. Paul has a view that one day he is going to be something transformed in power like he's never known before. Just think about Paul. He knows radical transformation. Saul became Paul. Saul, the religious zealot, became Paul, the free apostle under the gospel of God's grace. But Paul knows that when Christ returns, you ain't seen nothing yet. That when Jesus comes in glory, Paul, who is not what he once was, will be something far more than he is now. And he's banking all on the resurrection from the dead. The imparting of this glory to be made like Christ. And Paul says, my, I, I've stopped saying I've got to live for here and now. I've got to satisfy my desires. I've got to feed my flesh. I've got to squeeze every drop out of this life. His question is, how do I live for that day when Christ returns and all the dead in Christ will be raised and in the twinkling of an eye, the, the mortal will put on the immortal and the perishable will put on the imperishable. My dear friends, that day is coming. And where you have put your treasure, where you've invested your hope, well, you will, it will look radically different for people. In uh, Lord of the Rings... King Aragon dies. And this is how Tolkien describes Aragon's death. He says, um, Then a great beauty was revealed in him. Interesting. So that all who came, after, came there looked on him in wonder. They saw the grace of his youth. They saw the valor of his manhood and the wisdom and majesty of his age were blended together. And long there he lay, an image of the kings of men in glory undimmed before the breaking of the world. That description's great because basically it says that everything that was noble in him was still in him when he had died. The the strength of his youth, right? The valor of him as he fought and reigned. The wisdom that came with age. You looked on him and you could see it all. And you you and I need to realize that everything that God does in us now will show up with greater glory when we see him on that day. And it will be far more. Lig Duncan says this, One day we'll meet one another in glory and say, perfect. You can come up and say that to me with great amazement. We see in part how God works in us now, and we admire his work in each of us. But on that day, we will be stunned by the perfection that God has given to us. Isn't that freedom? Isn't that Easter optimism? Isn't that a resurrection reset? What are you living for? I'll tell you, if you live for now, it's downhill. It'll be degradation. But if you live for eternity, even though there's suffering now, you will grow in grace and grow in maturity and one day be transformed into such, C.S. Lewis says, one day we will meet each other in glory and if we have turned from Christ, we'll be a horror that we could hardly even look upon or we will be tempted by the glory that we have to fall down and worship one another like in the, in the book of Revelation. But my dear friends, on that day, we'll, follow, we'll fall down before Jesus we'll fall down before Jesus Christ, won't we? And we'll know that it was all worthwhile. So let me just ask you, are you on the treadmill of religious performance? You don't have to do that. Get off today, turn to Jesus. His work is finished. He has done it all. You, you, you are free from all of that. Are you trying to live your life in your own strength? My friends, check out what's under the hood of the gospel the power of the resurrection is real and for us now you can go into hard places and wait for christ to show up just wait for him to show up in those hard places he shows up some of our sweetest moments in life some of my most broken moments in my life i could never have got through except jesus did show up and one day he's going to show up like he's never showed up before and my dear friends free at last free at last. Praise God we'll be free at last. God's people said Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you that Jesus triumphed over sin and death and his resurrection is our resurrection. And so we praise you and thank you and bless you on this Easter Sunday. I pray Heavenly Father that this body of believers would go out with an optimism no matter what's going on around us that you are more than able to deliver and help us so help us jesus we pray through christ amen thank you for joining us today we hope you were able to seek savor and share the all-surpassing worth of jesus christ if you'd like to find out more about our church submit a prayer request watch previous sermons Go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.